Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bront Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm super excited for this one today. Today I'm joined by Derek Millander, who's the head strength and conditioning coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I'm joined by Brad Thorpe, he's the founder of ISOFIT, and today we're talking all about isometric exercise. So what is isometric exercise? What does it look like in your training program? How can you use it? Different types of isometric contractions and so much more. And I really like the combo of Brad and Derek because Brad founded the ISOFIT, which is probably one of the best tools available for isometric exercise. And Derek actually uses the ISOFIT with his athletes in the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he's used it himself personally with great success. So I love this pairing, and I have nothing but respect and positive things to say about both of these amazing individuals. Very thankful for their time. I really hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you on today, man. Man, I am so excited. I've listened to a whole bunch of your podcasts over the last little while. Man, your guest list is just insane. So thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's getting more insane now because I think you're probably one of the first Canadian entrepreneurs, if not the first Canadian entrepreneur I've ever had on the podcast. So let's call it the A-team, man. <laughs> hey, 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 I'll try not to say it about 700 times. Um, I had to like literally, I know it's like August something today. I had to like shovel the snow to get here. Um, you know, <laughs> Virtually. <laughs> virtually, virtually. It's like we're, we're living in igloos up here. So for, for people who aren't familiar with ISOFIT and everything that you've been doing, would you mind kind of filling them in a little bit about what you do and where you're at? Man, um, so a whole bunch of years ago, um, I went through a bunch of programs. I became the 21st person in the world with my dual designations, um, which was pretty awesome because it allowed me some uh, extraordinary insight and, and, you know, quick plug to those programs. So the resistance training specialist program out of Oklahoma City. So that was like the Bowflex guy, you know, a guy named Tom Purvis. So you've seen him on Bowflex videos for, I think he did 14 years of them. Um, and then studied under Greg Roscoff, a guy who basically put Peyton Manning back together after he broke his neck out in basically Denver. Um, so under those two protocols, I became the 21st person with my designations. A um, couple of years later, um, I'm using some isometric stuff for neuromuscular re-education, for return to play type activities and stuff like that. Um, and over the radio, I heard about a study that stated that isometric-based exercise was great for lowering blood pressure. Um, in a hypertensive population and to the uh, level of um, basically being the equivalent of a single pharmaceutical agent, which was extraordinary because traditionally speaking, they told you if you're in the fitness performance medical world, not to do isometrics if you had high blood pressure. So I didn't do it. I was suffering for, at that point uh, for 14 years um, with high blood pressure, trying to figure it out. And so basically just jumped at it and said, you know what, I'm using it over here for pain management and performance enhancement, but there's like one point whatever billion people currently with hypertension. Well, that's a huge market. More importantly, I have hypertension. Two weeks later, my blood pressure is normalized. So that got me like totally like I'm all in on isometrics. Um, so that's going back to 2007. Like, you know, so using it with my clients a lot more and stuff like that. And I have a home-based gym and... You know, basically my original ISOFIT was a wall, right? And you just use a wall, you can do isometrics against the wall, right? You can literally do them anywhere. The problem is I had two of my clients walk in one day and they say, Brad, there was no wall space at my gym. And I'm like, what? How's there no wall space? You got a 70,000 square foot gym. Uh, he's like, there's no wall space. All the equipment's pushed up against it. There's mirrors against it and all this other stuff. So traditionally speaking, the only, um, you know, jump forward a couple months, after I sort of come up with the concept of ISOFIT, um, which shockingly, I actually developed that in the bottom of my bathtub. Um, <laughs> of like all places. Just literally sitting there and uh, in the bottom of my bathtub, naked water coming down, like, holy, uh, you know, holy shit. Basically, I know how to do this. I know how to create a fancy wall in the middle of a room because that's all ISOFIT really is. It's a, it, it's a fancy wall in the middle of a room that happens to restrain all human joint motion for every joint position and every muscle length, for every tendon and for every goal you really have, um, which is pretty awesome. Um, so jumped out, made a, formulated a model 
um, basically using cardboard, glue, and a paper clip um, and a pair of scissors. Now, luckily, because I was really smart in the area, I had some pretty influential clients. So one of my clients walks in, he happens to be Canada's a senior partner at Canada's largest law firm. And, you know, he, he broke his neck during a yoga session. So, you know, I have his ear because I'm the guy helping him get back together. Um, so he's like, we'll help you out. My patent lawyer is like $450 an hour. Do you want to meet with him? Um, I'm like, yeah, sure. So created a fancy wall. Um, that's going back to 2009, um, 2010. Um, I had my first patent. I didn't actually have a working prototype until 2014. Um, and then we sent that to University of Toronto, where we had it basically went through some testing. Um, one of the young ladies that I was working with did her master's thesis and utilized the ISOFIT, which was formally named Motion Block, um, in her thesis paper uh, for her master's. So we had the University of Toronto basically prove that it did isometrics. So that's all I cared about. And that, to be <laughs> honest, that's the only study I will ever do um, where I fund it. If other people want to fund studies, go nuts. Um, because I can now leverage that term isometric and, you know, I'm a multi-patent holder. I think we're up to 25 patents throughout the world and stuff like that on two different products. Um, and then it's kind of like, okay, well, 2014 rolled around, finally got a unit. This is it, like, it's kind of like go time, um, manufacturing in Canada, uh, real expensive and stuff. Um, uh, you know, so our products are a little bit more expensive. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're doing well. We're in 25 countries now. We have 300 and what was it the other day? 300 and I think 37 clients. Um, and they range from the U.S. Army. Um, we're 12 different sports teams, um, you know, and, and it's pretty awesome. And I'm a, technically a solopreneur in the sense that it's only me at ISOFIT. Um, now we do outsource everything. So I have multiple teams of people uh, doing great stuff. And it's, you know, and it leads to conversations like this where it's like, you know what, here I am. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's an incredible journey. Now, when you first said that your clients came in and they had a problem with the ISOs at the wall, I figured you were going to say that they knocked the wall over because of how strong they got from your training. But um, I've noticed the same thing. There's not a whole lot of wall space. And it's incredible how you take a simple concept like the ISOFIT device that you made that is essentially a portable wall that's not going to give, bend, or break no matter how hard you push on it. And you can pretty much take it anywhere from you know wherever the Army is to wherever the sports teams are. And you can train muscles and increase your force production pretty easily. You don't need a squat rack and 500 pounds of plates you don't need dumbbells or kettlebells and you can make a ton of strength gains with it oh it's enormous and specific to the msk so the one you're sort of referencing there so it's 39 pounds or for our you know canadian audience or uk audience it's 17 kilos and basically it's 600 pounds of resistance um you know so if you got somebody that's capable of producing greater than 600 pounds of force, well, maybe just tell them to go at 80%, uh, <laughs> you know, just because the, the strength profile or the strength um, testing is only good for 600 pounds. Now we do have guys deadlifting 700 pounds using it. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're pretty, pretty strong guys, but what it really comes back to, it's just having the convenience of um, not having to think about how am I going to set up this exercise? And, you know, we can go through literally a full range of, 15 degree increments for a deadlift or a bench press or, you know, a, you know, a bottom end of a squat, um, you know, but for the most part, if you're looking at athletes and you're looking at the general population, the massive benefit of isometrics is how do we restore the neural communication from the brain to the muscle? And, you know, it, we generalize um, the terms that we often use and we use hamstrings or quads. Um, but there's different divisions of those tissues where we have the ability to be as generic as possible, or we can dial it in from a specificity perspective and say, hey, I want to target my, specifically and emphasize my semitendinosus or membranosus or gracilis or sartorius or bicep femoris. You know, if we're looking at some of those knee flexors, right? It's not just hamstrings, right? You, then you throw in, well, how about your plantaris? How about your gastroc? How about your, you know, all these really, really, really cool muscles that 
help aid in knee function um, that we don't train specifically. So we end up guys with off, off um, recording, we were talking about ACL injuries. Well, if you're not looking at 19 specific divisions of muscle tissue that stabilize the knee structure in a basically an ACL uh, injury prevention strategy, and that doesn't mean, oh, I got to be like dainty. No, get strong as all hell. These oh, different sorry. muscles that you were just discussing, how often do you hear of someone even mentioning them in their training, right? So they train, <laughs> as you said, they train knee flexion with like a hamstring curl machine, but the body is going to, is in its own way, target certain ones over others, right? So maybe it's due to posture, maybe it's due to the individual anatomical differences that we all have. Whatever it is, your body is going to selectively target certain muscles over others when you start to do a motion. But unfortunately, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So if you're not biasing other things in your training that aren't as strong, now, you know, you're never going to get 100% sartorius activation for knee flexion and 0%, you know, biceps femoris, semi-T, semi-M activation. But you can at least start to turn the lights on more in other places than others. Well, exactly. And collectively, we can make them all stronger. You mm -hmm. know, if we at least uh, start communicating and let's, let's at least just add the muscle names to the conversation. Let's start there. Um, because, you know, you look at, um, you know, jump off athletics. Let's look at an office worker as an example. Somebody sitting at a desk, um, you know, screaming, oh, your psoas is tight, your psoas is tight, your psoas is tight. Um, but they've never thought to train your sartorius, which is a knee flexor and a hip flexor. And it actually replicates the exact same position as sitting to stabilize your pelvis. Um, so if you're not even thinking it from a, you know, rudimentary level of saying, hey, how do we help the majority of the population sit in a chair? You know, without going, oh, it's my tight psoas. Well, guess what? Your psoas should be tight because you've asked it to work for a long period of time. Now, the problem is it usually isn't tight because you're passively sitting there. Your psoas is usually damn weak and you don't have the ability to pull the anterior surface of your spine forward while sitting there to help with scapular retraction, to help with neck posture. So you don't get carpal tunnel issues. We don't exactly. Right. We go, oh, my God. And we're not really um, well, we are kind of recording this. Um, so if we do this um, live, if you don't have the ability to pronate your wrist uh, to type on a keyboard, you actually end up having to abduct your shoulders or your elbows or your shoulders, basically. Uh, so that's going to put your upper trap under a greater level of stress, which is going to jut your head forward because your trap becomes tight because we don't mention muscle names. We don't know how to train the body properly. Uh, and the people that know the muscles names, they don't understand how to apply force to the body, right? And uh, we, we, once again, we talked about this off level. It's like, you know, physios, which you are, you guys are some of the most brilliant people on the planet when it comes to understanding anatomy and structure and, you know, all the nuance. But my God, you, some of you guys got to raise your game when it comes to understanding how you apply force to structure, because you're basically becoming glorified personal trainers. Uh, and the problem with that is you guys spent decades knocking personal trainers uh, for being, to be honest, some of the dumbest people on the planet um, applying force to structure because they didn't know the names of muscles. So we need an amalgamation of both communities um, to make the ultimate prescription of exercise, in my exactly. opinion. Exactly. And for that reason, that's why we combine something like the knowledge of a physical therapist such as myself, the knowledge of someone who has studied more about isometrics than I have, such as yourself, Brad. I know you sent over over 100 different articles that you've read through in detail. And I, I'll be honest, I haven't gotten to all of them quite yet. Uh, but that's also why we bring in someone like Derek Millander, who's no stranger to the podcast, because Derek has that strength and conditioning experience and background and expertise. And he's working with the best of the best with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I believe he's actually using the ISO fit in his training with them. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, now, I won't divulge too much of the information as to what they're doing. I'll let uh, <laughs> I see him up there now. I'll let him talk about his experience with ISOFIT, um, what he's doing with his athletes and stuff like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a component of a process, right? It's not the end all and be all. Um, it's, I like to say it, it's the start of the process. And theoretically, it should be the end of the process uh, because you need to bookshelf 
dynamic exercise and sport performance with isometrics because you need to prepare for it and you need to recover from it. And that's what isometrics are great for, the preparation for and the recovery of. So, you know, welcome Derek Millander, buddy. I see you up there. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Um, yeah, I, I would just start with the fact that, you know, Brad has been a huge, um, you know, mentor for me and uh, in the field in general, but, you know, specifically in, you know, for, for isometric training. And again, when I first uh, discovered, you know, the ISO fit, you know, online, I, you know, I was obsessed with trying to figure out exactly, hey, what is this? Um, you know, how do I get my hands on it? You know, I want to learn more about it. And, um, you know, Brad is, you know, quick to respond. I was able to, to figure out exactly what was going on, you know, with this machine that I didn't know exactly the name of it or, or you know, how long it's been out, but I knew I needed to know more about it. So I found out that it was, you know, it was Brad that who had created this. I reached out to him and, you know, if anyone who knows Brad, you know, he's very responsive. So, uh, you know, immediately, you know, he responded back and we started discussing, um, you know, ISOFIT and, and not just that, but also isometrics. You know, and, and as he was asking more questions about what it is that I was looking for and, uh, you know, he started to give me a lot of information that, you know, opened up, you know, my eyes, you know, to a lot of areas where I felt like I can improve in, you know, as a strength coach and also to help me personally, you know, as I work through different, uh, you know, injuries and, and ailments myself. So I, I love what, you know, Brad is doing for the field with isometrics has <clears throat> been a big part of. Of, of my growth, you know, over the past, I would say, you know, six months or so. And uh, I've seen the benefits of the isometrics in my personal programming, which I, I recommend a lot of, you know, practitioners to always start with yourself first when you can. Um, I, I think it allows you to really uh, get an understanding of what um, the stimulus responses will be from, um, you know, from soreness, if, if that's something or, uh, you know, muscular fatigue or, you know, or, you know, muscle stiffness, tendon stiffness, it's like, wow, okay, I'm, if I'm feeling these things, you know, now how do I figure out how to, to use these, uh, you know, these tools to help my athletes, and all the athletes are different, and their communication styles are different, and I think the ISOFIT is a great tool for, you know, practitioners to start using isometrics. If you haven't started before, uh, I love the incremental adjustments, you know, that, that, I, that Brad has with it, and 15 degree increments and in, from standing to, to seated to sideline to supine prone. Um, again, as you start to get more creative and more comfortable, there's an endless number of movements that you can, um, you know, complete on it. And then once I got comfortable with, you know, the ISO fit and using all that, I started using it with, you know, dumbbells, uh, isometrics with barbells and dumbbells and cables and bands and, you, and your mind just starts to growing and it's cool to evolve. You know, do I, do I use other, you know, do I use eccentric methods? Do I use uh, concentric methods? Absolutely. Um, but I really benefited personally from isometrics and I'm excited to, to continue to use it with my athletes and help more of them as well. One of the big things you mentioned in there, in addition to, you know, your own evolution <laughs> as a strength coach, is, which is one of the things I respect the most about you, Derek, is the way that you look at things and then you never stop learning. You continue to grow and you continue to improve in your own mental fortitude, I'll say. <clears throat> but one of the things you mentioned in there was tendon stiffness. And that's a term that I think most people aren't even familiar with. And yet when we think about injuries, it's often either ligaments or tendons that get injured, right? Um, ruptured Achilles, ruptured biceps, whatever. So when it comes to tendon stiffness and how tendon stiffness kind of has like a relation between things like running or you know ground contact time and that sort of thing in the athletic world um where would you begin in kind of like just breaking that down for people who aren't familiar with the term well i like to um you know backtrack a little bit and i, I and mm -hmm. i would say one area um that i didn't highlight enough was um you know i was in pain you know, when I reached out to Brad. And mm. I, I think for a lot of people, um, you know, that have experienced, you know, tendon pain or any, you know, sort of, you know, injury to their bodies that has, you know, slowed down their ability to do what they love. Um, you know, I mean, it can be very frustrating, you know, and, and stressful, um, especially, you know, when, you know, it's your job to, to take care of others, you know, in this, in this space. So when I reached out to Brad, I was in a high level of pain. 
and I and so in, in terms of you know tendon stiffness, um, you know tendon elasticity, uh, tendon responsiveness, you know I had to get my tendons healthy, you know so with all of those categories that I just talked about, I just had to figure out how to get out of the pain state, you know so as long as I'm in the pain state, there was you know all the other things that I want to do, I wasn't going to be able to accomplish it, so I had to I had to regress in a lot of ways in order to get myself back to um, where I could do some of the things that I love to do. Um, so, you know, my recommendation would be for <clears throat> start isometrics with your athletes as soon as you can. Again, start with yourself first, but especially athletes. And I, I kind of jumped, jumped in when, when Brad was talking about preparing the athletes. And I, I think it's so important that when you have a young training age athlete, as quickly as you can, you know, expose them to isometrics at different, um, at different ranges. Um, you know, different joint angles, you know, different intensities and, you know, al allow them to learn how to be stable first, uh, allow them to have, you know, tendon strength first before you start exposing them to some of the high level dynamic movements that are great. And I, and I think you need to expose your athletes to that because depending on what their sport may be, that may be asked of them, you know, in that, in that arena. But I will say, if you don't have the tendon responsiveness to handle, you know, those loads, at some point you're, you're going to have major issues with your tendon. So on the front end, I would say expose your athletes to it um, and show them that, you know, it isn't just something that you do when you're recovering from an injury. It's something that you do when you're healthy. It's something that you do before your workout to potentiate to get your body ready for the training session. It's also um, something that you do after your training session. Um, you know, again, I don't understand all the science behind um, the ISO work after training, but I do know, you know, I, I can speak for anecdotally, I did it for myself and I've also been able to work on it and, and trial it with my athletes, you know, after competition as well too. And we were able to get some really good results, results meaning they had less pain the next day. Um, you know, they're, you know, they wanted to train that their lower body the next day. That was from the isometrics that we were doing, you know, after competition. Yeah. One of the things that uh, people often forget about when you're looking at a six foot eight or six foot nine, 15 year old is the fact that they're 15. They're still adolescent. They're still growing. They're still maturing. And these forces that these athletes are having to deal with are far greater than somebody that are six foot or five foot five. Um, you know, so here's a way that, um, you know, post um, exercise or post training, you know, to sort of um, add to Derek's point when you're restabilizing and the cool thing about isometrics it restores the communication loop to those working muscles so when you're post traumatic event be it game day um, what it does it helps stabilize the structures that help with blood flow that helps stabilize the joints so it helps reduce inflammation within the areas um, because what we forget when we're looking at in like lymphatic circulation that's 100% controlled by a muscle function. And if you just basically inhibited muscle tissue because you worked really, really, really crazy hard and left it totally fatigued because you left 100% on the court, what happens is you just end up stabilizing that structure. So when you go to lie down and sleep at night, now here's one of the major benefits. Isometrics helps you sleep better. Because what happens is traditionally we're standing all day. So we have natural compressive loading to structure. And when you go to lie down, you now have shearing forces against all your joints. And you have compression at your shoulder joint if you happen to be lying on that side. So isometrics actually helps you prepare for sleep post-competition. So that's one of the key benefits because now you're going to sleep better. And we all know the importance of sleep, right? But if you're not prepared for sleep, you don't sleep as well. So that's another thing that we can sort of look at as well, where it's like, well, if we're able to sleep better, you know, so Derek brought up the guys feel better the next day. That's one of the reasons why, right? right. You know, right. It's, it's not even, it's not even talked about. No. And going into the physiological side a little bit more, one of the ACSM studies that I was looking at there had um, increased nitric oxide production and increased antioxidant production in response to isometric training. So as you just said, now we're going to bring in a lot more blood flow, but we're also going to bring in a lot more chemical factors to help flush out any kind of inflammation, any kind of muscle damage, and promote that healing response earlier. 
because after you do any bout of heavy exercise, whether it's, you know, a game or a heavy training day, whatever it is, your muscles kind of resemble Swiss cheese. They get beat up and they have some little holes, I'll call them, that need to be repaired. So if yep. we can flush in circulation and flush in all of those things to start the healing process sooner, we're going to not only come back stronger and feel better the next day, but we're actually going to start training at a higher level and be able to produce more force because we can train harder as opposed to, you know, Monday training feels good. Tuesday, I'm 5% weaker. Wednesday, I'm 5% weaker. Thursday, I'm 5% weaker. I take the weekend off and then I'm good to go the next week. Instead of that constant decline in performance, we could actually either plateau it or start to increase it. Yep. Well, it's also like you take something like non-specific low back pain, which, you know, they're still searching for a cause, um, you know, and anything that sort of says, well, it's not this, it's not that. Um, most things when you're looking at tendon structure, because we know Derek sort of mentioned he personally suffers um, and has suffered from tendonitis and stuff like that. And the pain is excruciating. Just think, and this is exploratory. Just think that some of those small muscles in your spine that you don't know the names of have tendonitis, right? Because you don't train them often. You don't know the names of them. You're not very specific to them, but yet they have to deal with high loads every day. Um, so we accidentally with isometrics, and I use that uh, purposely, we accidentally train all these tendons and strengthen all these tendons that we don't know the names of because we hold the position longer under sustained periods of force, right? As opposed to, hey, I'm just going to sit there all day at my desk, which we, you could argue is saying that's bad because, you know, it's compressive loading and it's, there's not much, uh, you know, forces going through the structure. But when you're looking at sort of isometrics, like you, you train all these muscles um, that aren't specifically known to people. And, you know, it brings up a, a point that um, was basically just having a better vocabulary of muscle names helps trainers be better at training muscle tissues because that's our goal as trainers and sports coaches and performance experts is to train and optimize performance of muscle structure so we perform better on game day, show up for game day. So these are some things that we have to just sort of be open to exploring. And when you're looking at like, let's say a neck protocol for athletes, right? you got your some of your muscles in your neck um, they're more to the lateral side. So your ili, um, longissimus cervicus, longissimus capitis. So that's a group of muscle names that most people have never heard of. They cover off 58% of your spine. So if you're leaving these muscles untouched, untrained, unstable, you might sort of say, well, why don't we fix it? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Why don't we fix it? You know, I'm, I'm not here to sort of say, well, that's bad. It's like, no, but now that it's a known quantity, Let's just add to what we already know that works, because if we can increase basically neck stability, we increase the performance of your central nervous system, which is pretty cool. Um, increase the blood flow to your brain, increases stability, increases neurological output, right? You got to worry about how that sort of central nervous system, be it your spinal column, is housed within that vertebral body. Um, and these are things that um, are traditionally overlooked, but we can massively influence quickly and effectively with isometrics. It's just something to think about anyways. I, I, I see I see you guys on, on the on the audio side. You don't see Derek's eyes going, man, I'm thinking about something now. He's got a big smile. He's like, damn. I'm just excited, you know, for you to be unhinged right now. You know, let it go. <laughs> man, uh, yeah. Well, the cool thing is, like, I've had 15 concussions that I know of. Um, so it's, it's worked with my brain, um, in the sense that, uh, you know, I'm a little tangential when it comes to thought and stuff like that, but, um, you know, the information is housed there. And one of the cool things, there's this lady, um, I, Mara Mather, I, I, I'm probably butchering her name. Uh, she's at USC, so University of Southern California. So she's doing some great research right now in the space of isometrics and gerontology. Um, so what they found um, in one of the recent studies that was published in um, February, it still has to go through the peer-reviewed process. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hang my hat off 100% of what they say, but the information is pretty sound and her hi history of who she is is pretty awesome. Um, but what they found was um, 18 seconds of isometrics times four reps with 30 seconds interval in between was enough 
of a stimulus to increase um, memory recall in both young and old people. You know, so you think of things like Alzheimer's and different states of dementia that, you know, as we have an aging population, you know, and it, this obviously goes a little bit away from sports performance, but there's a ton of athletes out there that can benefit from this too, because if you think about memory recall, did I remember my play? Um, what was all this data stuff? Like, how am I going to run this run if I'm a football player? You know, what is the sequence and orchestration of a defensive strategy? Uh, because I might not necessarily be the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, but if I can increase my memory recall, I'm going to perform better on game day because I'm not going to run the wrong route. Um, you know, so there's dramatic increases um, and benefits to this stuff that, uh, you know, as an industry, we just overlooked. Well, not even just the benefit from the sports performance on the mental side, but I think a lot of people forget that athletes are people too, and they have lives and their lives go on after sports. And, you know, I think it's been probably what, eight, 10 years ago, the movie Concussion came out. Yep. But I know that terrified a lot of people in the sports world. Like, what kind of life am I going to have after I end the sport? And if they can, if they learn that they can do things right now to keep themselves sharp up here, and that's going to enhance their life after sport, because again, athletes are people and they have a life outside of the sporting world. I know most people forget about that, but improving their quality of life outside of sport should be essential to the overall training of them, not just the performance and keeping them injury free, but also making sure that they live the kind of life that they want to live. And the other thing I think about is athletes, whether they show injuries or not, they play through injuries. And there's been some studies that really jump out to me in the physical therapy world where structure and function don't always match. So there was one in the uh, Br British Medical Journal 2012 that looked at knee MRIs in people with knee pain and people without knee pain. And they found that with people that don't have knee pain, 25% of the ones they looked at had meniscal tears. Whereas 20% with knee pain had meniscal tears. So there was more people with meniscal tears that had no pain than those with torn meniscus that had pain. Mm -hmm. Or there was another one published in a neuroradical, neuroradial journal in 2014. And that one looked at disc bulging and protrusion and all these different disc related things. And I like it because they looked at people in their 20s. And they found that almost 40% of the people they looked at in their 20s, young people, had disc degeneration, and 30% had disc bulges and disc protrusions, so basically bulging discs. Yeah, yet I'm not seeing that many people in their 20s come in with, you know, back pain from a disc in their 20s. Like, that's kind of unheard of, really. So just because things are structurally wrong doesn't mean that that person is functionally unable to perform. And my mind goes to, well, they're young, they're probably pretty healthy, and they're probably pretty strong still. Yeah, it, it, it gets really unique because we look at this um, idealistic view of perfection and symmetry, which is just god-awfully wrong. It is just so wrong. Um, you know, people, people are uh, mentally tough. People are skillful. People are strong for whatever it is they, they have. And we, we unfortunately put this um, slanted view of what is normalized and perfection. And this should be the path of motion, if you know you will, or this is how you should shoot a basketball, or this is how you should jump. This is how you should run. I mean, according to the run experts, Usain Bolt sucked. Uh, his start was awful um, until you understand what the glute does, which is an external hip rotator and abductor and then an extensor. Um, and it would make more sense that if you would have a more, uh, you know, aligned um, internally rotated hip position for his lead leg, but that's okay. A different subject, but you start to look at this stuff and it's just like, you know, you take those oddities like LeBron or, you know, and Derek works with them. I advise people who work with them. Um, and it's like, these guys are just, they're freaks of nature. They're one-offs. Um, that, that's not normal society, you know, being six foot eight and, um, you know, obviously being able to be uh, truly, truly amazing. 
Um, and he's got to be what, I don't know, 265 is what I would say he looks like. Um, but that, that's incredible. Yeah, I like how you brought up that it's not always the most glamorous or eye-catching thing, right? Like, you know, some of these isometric type holds we talk about are not going to get the 100,000 views and 10,000 likes on TikTok. However, they are beneficial for the athlete. And I think that a lot of people are so caught up right now in making everything super flashy and showy. Like, you know, I'm going to have my athlete do eyes closed back or zercher squat with uh, all the plates suspended on bands on the bar and all these different things. And it's like, why are we making things more complex when we can actually go back to simplicity? Because I find that the simpler we make things, the better they tend to work. Now, you also mentioned that you use different types of isometrics, right? So you might do an isometric hold with the dumbbells, or you might do an isometric where they're pushing up into an immovable object or a movable force. From a training standpoint, what makes you choose one over the other? Is there certain benefits to different types of isometric training, uh, like the holds versus the pressing isometric? Yeah, I mean, I, I know, you know, Brad can get into a lot more detail, but I typically... Um, if it's after, if it's after competition, you know, I may not want the athlete to actually, you know, hold dumbbells in their hand, um, initially, or I may not want them to have to put the weight, you know, on their, on their spine. Um, you know, so Brad has really educated me in terms of like, there were terms that when I initially started researching in isometrics, you know, it was, you know, overcoming and, um, what was the other term that we, yielding. Uh, you know, yielding. And then now, you know, Brad has taught me about, you know, Pima, uh, you know, and Hema, you know, you know, term. So again, and I've had some conversations with him about, Hey, well, which, which one should I use, you know, um, at one, you know, at, at what time, you know, especially if I'm trying to figure out, okay, if it's pre-practice, you know, which, which method of isometric contraction would be more beneficial right now versus maybe post-practice or post-game. Um, so again, I can't, I can't say, you know, what, you know, you should do, but I think a lot of it for me goes boils down to um, the athlete telling me exactly, you know, where they're at from a fatigue standpoint. And then if I'm potentially trying to get in, um, you know, maybe another lower body exercise, you know, after we do our isometric training, because I typically, uh, when I can, um, especially if the athlete has a history with tendon issues, I try to start with that, you know, start with that first and that athlete will give me feedback on, Hey, how's the tendons feeling today? How, you know, okay, maybe first set, you know, I'm a little achy. I'm okay. You know, second set, um, pain level. What, what do you think? No, it didn't get any, it didn't get any worse. Feels a little bit better. Say we do a third set. Actually, it feels pretty good. Now the athlete says, okay, well, actually, you know, if you want to do those step ups or, you know, I, I, I feel pretty good because I know, you know, I want to keep my, you know, my legs strong. So if you want me to do the, the uh, dumbbell rip for the elevated, now that my tendons are warm, I feel comfortable with that. I don't mind loading a little bit. Yeah, and one um, of the other things, and you reached out to me the other day about this, it's like, you know, do, do isometrics always have to be 45 seconds? No. The answer is categorically no. Um, you could look at things like rate of force development, like you want to enhance. And this is one of the things because Derek, you know, he has, he has a company, you know, outside of um, the Cavs called Rise Nation, uh, where they're looking at basically uh, VersaClimber training. And what it is, is high repetitions for long periods of time with rapid rates of force development. And okay, cool. Well, isometrics are great. And they're great for benefiting tendon stiffness and stuff like that. But what about uh, rapid forces going into the body. Well, we can train isometrically in two second intervals or less than two second intervals where we're looking at massive force outputs in a short period of time, times a whole bunch of repetitions. And realistically, it replicates doing dynamic exercise um, that allows sort of, you have that sort of stretch response cycle or a stretch shortening cycle where it's like, okay, I want to learn how to rapidly get out of positions. I want to work on the activation rate of muscle so here's a way that we can do that. So it transfers over, you know, uh, from a, almost like a, how do you approach isometrics? Well, you can look at it from like a 45 second interval uh, for tendon stiffness and endurance training all the way down to less than two seconds 
for neurological adaptation, um, rate of force development, impact training, and oh yeah, we talked about this off 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 um, can or off uh, mic, uh, plyometric training, right? Isometrics is on par with plyometric training for enhancing jump height in athletes uh, without the risk of injury of a plyometric, right? So yeah. to the point of like, how do you prepare these athletes so they show up on game day better? And one of, one of my athletes that I work with, so I'm not just a product development guy and stuff like that. I, I came from the industry, you know, where we discussed earlier, I was the 21st person in the world with my designations. I work with athletes. I work with broken people, like really, really chronically damaged people. We took one 17-year-old kid, actually was 16 years old at the time. Um, he was a vo volleyball phenom in Canada. We added three inches to a sp spike touch height in seven hours. Uh, which is almost unheard of when you look at a training performance perspective. And everyone's like, oh, you just enhanced his nervous system. Yes, I enhanced his nervous system. So what? He performed better. He touched three inches higher after seven hours. He was offered a full scholarship to Pepperdine University and UCLA in a six-second video. Tell me that didn't transform that kid's life. Now, he opted to go play for Team Canada at the age of 18. He's now playing Europe. He's now doing what he loves. Um, and he's now touching 12, six and a half at the age of, well, he's now in his 20s. But we got him up to that in three years, uh, which was pretty crazy. Um, when you think about performance gains like that, um, and for all you young athletes who are really worried about looking good on YouTube, that helps. Looking good on game day helps even more. Right. And, you know, Dan, to your question, you know, I think I would, if I would elaborate a little bit more, um, is to just say, for example, if I'm in a, uh, a lot of what we do um, is on the road, you know, we travel a ton, you know, half of the games are on the road. So we spend quite a bit of time in hotels, you know, training. So, um, and, and Brad can, can speak to what I'm about to touch on here, but just say, for example, we're trying to do, um, you know, some quad tendon, you know, patella tendon, you know, loading before um you know before a lifting session and we're and we're happy to be in a hotel and we have access to a leg extension machine this athlete has experience with that and it likes the leg extension machine so now what i'm doing more of is, is you know when i'm adjusting the seat adjusting the lever arm uh in the past you know i may have you know putting the weight put the weight to a certain load and had the athlete you know hold that load isometrically which i feel like that causes more fatigue to the athlete versus if I just set that lever arm to whatever angle I wanted to be at and had them just push into it. Or that give me a 20 second push, give me a 30 second push, whatever it is that I'm trying to obtain. So I like doing more, you know, of that. And, and, and Brad, like in terms of that example, with the leg extension, you know, would that be more of the, of the Pima contraction? Or uh, yeah, so, how would you click? So, yeah. If you're sort of sitting there holding it, that would obviously be HEMA, which is holding isometric muscle action. PEMA stands for either pushing or pulling isometric muscle action. And which would be basically, that would be the overcoming, um, what would be traditional. Holding would be more the yielding side of um, the isometrics. But what happens when you're holding a mass? And this is where the HEMA side of things becomes potentially hazardous leading to greater levels of fatigue, leading to greater levels of risk. Because when the athlete or the user starts to fatigue, that load increases and you didn't account for that, right? As opposed to if I'm pushing into an immovable object, more the PEMA side of things, well, as the athlete or the user starts to fatigue, you can't generate more force than you can generate, right? So in most scenarios, like let's say I'm doing a chest press, <clears throat> and I'm pushing up into an immovable object and I start to fatigue. I'm going to ramp up to the load, right? I, my max, let's say it's a 200 pounds. So I'm going to be shoving on this bar. I generate up to 200 pounds, but we're going to hold it durationally. Um, so I might've hit my 200 pounds in five seconds, but I want a 20 second hold. So over that next 15 seconds, I might drop down to 123 pounds, right? But it changed in real time based off my efforts. So it allowed times for tendons to maybe withstand or be under a little bit more force and all these good things, as opposed to if I'm holding 200 pounds, 
and I start to fatigue, well, that load goes up. That puts me at greater risk of shoulder injury, potentially. Um, so it's like, okay, well, if I want to sort of <clears throat> make it healthier for my athlete, well, let's do the first option because now what I can do is train mental toughness and the ability to sort of um, withstand force output. I can increase the endurance strength of this person versus I just put this kid under more risk. Um, you know, and yeah, it's, it's great that he visually, it looks like you're holding 200 pounds. I mean, there's, there's an ego element to that, <clears throat> but it's the wrong time. Um, at end of your career, worry about your ego and lifting, you know, during career, worry about just performance and strength gains and not being injured on game day, um, is what I would like to tell people. Right, right. To Derek's point, too, about being able to take isometrics on the road with you. I mean, a lot of these things, Greg, you mentioned before, you could start with a wall, right? You can do yep. rotator cuff isometrics at a wall. You can probably do most arm isometrics at a wall. And then yep. for the lower body, I mean, you can do a lot of your uh, abduction, internal rotation, that kind of stuff at the hip at the wall. Um, I think the one exercise is called uh, Captain Morgan's or um, I call them hip burners because it lights up everyone's hip where yeah. you're just pressing out into a wall and holding. Yeah, hip uh, abduction. Yeah. yeah, yeah, hip abduction ISO, but you can do the same with flexion. You can do the same with extension. You can modify little things and internally or externally rotate. Yeah, just rotate 90 degrees. Do, go straight, straight out, straight forward, straight back, straight in. Um, yep. add internal rotation, add external rotation. Like we crafted a whole program, you know, and I'll, I'll flip it to you. You can send it to your audience. Um, it's a, a six day isometric exercise protocol that doesn't require a machine. Um, we call it the isometric training system. So it looks at 11 different movements per day, right? Two neck, two core, two or three shoulder, four lower body exercises. And what it is, it's a way for people to self-assess and correct muscle dysfunction. Uh, more so just do the exercises and your brain will actually kind of reorchestrate and kind of correct itself because it's just the repetition of, you know, 66 different movement patterns that you may have not been going through Monday to Friday, right? We, we, as trainers and coaches, uh, we fall into this realm of let's do what's familiar and let's not necessarily go beyond our scope. Um, I live in a, a, a scope-free world. I just going to make the, the, the person optimized and performance. I don't care if you're medical side. I don't care if you're performance side. I want my athlete to function optimally. So I live in that world. So let's prepare the, like the athlete to avoid therapeutic intervention. That's my goal. Um, so if I have to ostracize a community, be it the therapy and medical side, good. There's enough injured people. Um, that hopefully we make your career obsolete. Because um, I hope personally, we can help so many people not get injured that they never have to seek therapeutic intervention. That would be my ideal. But this program, it gives people a foundation of where do I start? How do I implement isometrics? First and foremost, then we start to apply force to structure. And that's just, you know, simple, not easy, and now real complicated. Um, you know, so that's kind of like a little super tangent to sort of say, hey, there, there, there's a ton of isometrics we can do. Um, and it literally is just hold position, yeah. move into position, hold. And, um, and change that position slightly and play around with it. Be creative because you'll find certain modifications will be more challenging and certain ones will be easier. So I'm a huge fan of altering the shin angle for someone on a quad or patellar tendon load isometric, right? So I can take a slant board and put them up to 40 degrees, or I can knock it down to 10 degrees. And that's going to drastically change what that person feels. I can do the same if I want to add an Achilles load. Maybe I put someone in a lunge isometric hold, but I want a little bit more Achilles load. I can make someone float their heel up off the ground because regardless of what you're doing, sporting activity, life-related activities, whatever, you're probably going to move with your heel off the ground at some point. Hopefully. <laughs> and same thing with the toes, right? We could change it into a toe float. And now we're getting a little bit of toe extension. We could make it more of a dorsiflexion bias and lift the whole ankle up while keeping the toes at neutral. Uh, now, one thing everyone that I give some of these holds to finds is they can cause some muscle shaking, or sometimes I call them absolute quakes, like things are moving all over the place. 
And I've always told them that is a state of neurologic confusion. But while I have the two of you here, how would you explain the muscle shaking that someone might get from a HEMA or another type of isometric contraction? Uh, it's traditionally fatigue, um, right? And the excitation, because um, obviously when you have um, neurological input to tissue, it, it comes in waves, right? It's not just the continuous flow, right? So with even within an isometric, and here's where it gets complicated, there's very few isometric uh, occurrences in our body, even doing isometrics, right? So, and we probably should have went over this at the beginning. <laughs> so an isometric um, traditionally is considered um, when you have muscle increases in muscle tension with no change in muscle length. That is categorically wrong. Uh, so, and uh, the uh, offshoot to that would be, well, it's, an increase, a shortening of muscle, but an increase in the tendon structure. So the muscle tendon junction or the muscle tendon complex doesn't change. Also wrong. The, what it really needs to be is basically holding and sustaining a joint position with minimal joint change in position is kind of what it is. And the reason I say that is because the muscle will start to oscillate on contraction, right? So the muscle shortens and it shortens by up to 16%. Um, and then it, it changes and oscillates throughout that sort of time structure or time interval. Um, so that means the tendon is also oscillating um, as a muscle is contracting. So isometrics, as simple as they are, are highly complex. Um, they actually function dynamically in an isometric environment, um, meaning there's no joint movement or limited joint movement, right? So you could use the term pseudo isometrics would be probably more specific and probably more accurate. Um, in the sense that it's minuscule movements or minute movements under load scenarios. Um, you know, and I know that sort of conflicts everything um, in every piece of literature out there, but that's the way it is. Because um, it's you know, for a period of time, and it's something like less than a second where you can truly get an isometric scenario. Yeah. <laughs> it's, re it's really about how, how do we make these athletes stronger and more stable? And stability is basically the resistance to movement. Um, right, because if you have option A, which is dynamic exercise, um, that's unstable. It has to be unstable. Um, and if our goal is to resolve instability, adding dynamic movement to a scenario just further compounds the ability to compensate and learn a skill, highly important, not <laughs> For stable. sure. For right? sure. And as we've mentioned, there's so many like endless ways to incorporate this into your training, too. I'm just thinking about some of the other ways that. I was putting isometric contractions into different exercises, but I didn't often think of it like that at the time, right? So I might have someone do a single leg RDL or a runner lunge while I have a band from a power rack pulling on their foot into either pronation or supination. So now I've got an isometric at the foot to resist pronation or supination while I'm doing a functional movement. And when you stop and think like that, the isometric component to an exercise is actually incorporated in a lot of other places. And I think a lot of those places are actually sticking points for people, right? You know, a lot of people get stuck in the bottom part of a squat. Well, they kind of forget that all of those muscles are active at the bottom part of a squat. You know, you're not just chill and relaxed there. Everything is working overtime. So if that's your problem area, Maybe start loading it isometrically and see what happens. Yeah, well, you take that squat scenario. Well, most of the joints within your structure are actually working isometrically to allow you to do the squat, right? Like think of all those spinal muscles. They have to be stable because if, if they're unstable and they're not sustaining that load, your, your, your form breaks down. You, you might flex at your spine because of the load. And now you put yourself under risk. Same comment for deadlift, same comment for bench press, which are traditionally or powerlifting exercises. But, you know, to your point about where we can use this elsewhere, like I was working with Candace Wiggins, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and we just sort of met. And, um, she's over at the Spire Institute in, just outside of um, Cleveland in a place called Geneva. Um, Ohio, but she was like a, a Stanford standout, um, you know, four-year All-American stuff like that. And we were breaking down um, shot mechanics, um, like how can you use isometrics for like uh, foul shooting, as an example. And you know, she's like, "Well, let's hold this position, and I want my athlete to be here." I'm like, "Well, cool. If the athlete can't stabilize and be strong there, I'm glad you want them to do it. But if they're not strong enough to do it, they usually can't do it. So let's get them strong first. Add that to the skill development equation. So get strong, get stable. 
And this is where I, I, I want everyone to position isometrics. Isometrics gives you the ability to prepare for dynamic exercise. Doing dynamic exercise is the practice of dynamic exercise. You cannot prepare for dynamic exercise by doing dynamic exercise. It's just skill. Now, you can get better, but what we end up doing without a strong isometric strength level, we end up compounding muscle injury risk by only doing dynamic exercise in training and then dyna dynamic exercise in sport. But the training environment has the ability to be the safest environments on the planet to apply force to structure. And everyone says I'm like wickedly biased and stuff like that because I created a product. It's like, don't like, and, and people don't like me saying this, but don't buy my product, just do isometrics. We discussed use a wall, use a strap. Derek sort of said, hey, let's use, you know, let's pin out the leg extension machine pre-game. Yes, absolutely. Um, use a door frame. They're fantastic for isometrics because you regress and progress your angles and stuff like that, you know, which, which is pretty awesome. And I'm passionate about, do isometrics to prevent injuries so we can perform at the highest level of our, our capability, you know, which is different than somebody else's capability. But at least if we show up on game day and they're injured and not performing, we do better, you know, so give yourself the opportunity to show up. So. Yeah, 100%. Well, Brad, Derek, this has been an amazing episode discussing the use of isometrics and all kinds of different terminology related to isometrics from the safety in individuals with high blood pressure to the difference between HEMA and PEMA. Mentally, every time you said that, my mind went to FEMA and I was just like, wait a second, what are we, what are we talking about again here? Um, but it's been great. Did either of you have any kind of closing thoughts, closing remarks, or anything you really want people to remember about isometrics? Yeah, I would just say for me, I can't stress enough about <clears throat> um, reducing pain, you know, and again, I think if you're not completely, you know, sold on it, if you, you know, if you, if you don't think it's, uh, it can be impactful um, um, in your toolbox, I would just say, you know, find an athlete, find a person that's in pain. Uh, you know, specifically dealing with tendon pain and, and start with isometrics and you will see, you know, how powerful this can be. And I think it'll open up the mind to incorporating isometric training uh, with healthy athletes, uh, the youth athletes um, and, you know, and the aging athlete, you know, as, as they try to prolong and extend careers. So again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer because I've, I've been in pain for a long time and the isometrics helped me get out of that. And I'm thankful that I was able to connect with Brad and he's been, been huge for my development. Um, so that's, that's my closing remarks on, on ISOs. Thanks, when, it, when it came to your own isometrics, Derek, I'm curious to throw you on the spot real quick. Did you have yeah. any kind of protocol or progression or what was it that you were doing that really helped you reduce your pain level? Yeah, I, I mean, I did a lot in terms of um, isometrics. I mean, I, you know, I had the, the ISO fit and I used it <laughs> obsessively, you know, every day, some, you know, sometimes, uh, oftentimes, to be honest, you know, twice a day, because I started getting, I started getting positive feedback, you know, instantly. And then I was craving it more and more and more. And I had less pain when I was sitting down, you know, at the kitchen table, less pain when I was just driving, you know, for 30 minutes or so in the car. So I would say I really, I, 20 seconds is where I started. You know, um, if, if we're talking about standing hip abduction, you know, I may do three to four rounds of, of 20 seconds to start, you know, and then once I felt like from a neurocognitive standpoint, you know, I could extend that, you know, to maybe two sets of 30 seconds, three sets of 30 seconds, I started to do that. But it, it, it's a lot of mental focus when it comes to isometrics. So I would also just recommend just start off slow um, even 10 seconds, you know, you, you, I feel like you can see benefits from that. But I, I started from the ground up, um, you know, plantar flexion, uh, you know, anterior tip, you know, work with it. And then I progressed to start, you know, sideline, hip external rotation, uh, prone hip extension, um, prone hip external rotation. I've, I've went through a lot of Brad's protocols and movement preps. And then I started to decide, hey, well, you know, I feel like I'm lacking, you know, in the adductor. So I started doing, you know, more adductor work for 20 to 30, 30 seconds, working up to 45 seconds 
of work. And now there's certain movements, not, not a lot, <laughs> um, but there's certain movements now that I'm holding up to, to 60 seconds. Um, so again, I just think um, just start off slow, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, um, work, work different angles. Angles. If, you have an, if, if you're on a machine, um, hopefully it's a machine that you can adjust to different angles because you can definitely find weaknesses and strengths. So find your weaknesses at different angles and attack them. Um, with, the, with the ISO fit, it's great because it automatically allows you to go in 15 degree increments. And uh, you know, my goal was to try to figure out exactly where I'm the weakest at and put time in that space. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I keep hearing that exercise is medicine term repeating in the back of my head, because yeah. I know a lot of people when they have that tendon type of pain or issue, they resort to other things to reduce their symptoms. And it's like, yeah. look, if you can use yeah. exercise to do it, the only side yeah. effects from exercise tend to be beneficial. So yeah, yeah, I tried to, I tried to push through, you know, for years, um, you know, by pushing through, meaning by avoiding the things that were causing pain or, um, you know, trying to lower the load, but, but still can do, still continue to do that particular, you know, movement. And I kept, I kept getting relapsed. I kept, you know, having problems. So again, until I really committed to the isometrics, um, that's when I started seeing results. And then for a period of time, it was really all like from a quad, you know, interior loading standpoint, that was the, the majority of my program was isometrics for all interior, you know, knee dominant movements. From the posterior chain standpoint, you know, I would go and do the regular leg curls, RDL variations, glute ham raisins, trap, all that stuff was fine. Um, but it was the front, the anterior loading, which for me, I had to regress to just specifically isometrics to get myself out of that pain zone before I could actually start doing, you know, some of the you know, traditional stuff like I love to do. Like I, I do love to jump, but if I'm in pain, you know, every time I land or every time I go to put eccentric force into the ground, I have pain, you know, I'm not gonna jump very high or I'm gonna have, I'm gonna get a pain response afterwards. So I had to get out of that pain state and the isometrics did that for me. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of end with as well, is I'll tell you two scenarios. So I started working with this lady by the name of Alyssa Sesney, and she was a two-time world or a two-time U.S. figure skating champion and going back to 2009, 2011. Um, so I met her in 2018. Um, she basically retired from figure skating at a professional level. She had th three hip surgeries, um, basically at the young, young age um, to basically try to get back into it. Um, so in 2019, 2021, she won the U.S. Uh, senior title uh, because we gave her her career back. And she just actually did uh, Stars on Ice this year. Um, so she's over the moon. So that's one scenario where we basically took a retired injured athlete, gave them their career back. And the only difference was she added isometrics and specifically isofit. And her method of using a wall or a strap uh, but once you understand the foundation of it, like the why you would do isometrics for her, she's like, well, it makes sense. I feel better. And I, you know, she had extraordinary range of motion. She had extraordinary skill, but she was chronically injured and always in pain. So she couldn't do it. So we resolved that. And then on the other side of it, you know, on a more medical side, and this is a story that, um, you know, I, I'm truly proud of. You know, and I love all my clients and I love all the people I work with at various levels. But this gentleman, his name's Keith. Um, Keith died. So he was in a coma um, He for about three months. He's got what's called a left ventricular assist device. So he's got an external pump. His heart doesn't function at all. He's on a heart transplant list now because we helped him qualify to get on a heart transplant list. So I jokingly say he's a living, breathing zombie because he literally was dead. He doesn't have a heart. Um, but when he got his isofit, he couldn't even adjust the bar. He was that weak and ill-conditioned. Um, isofit, we started with a one minute per day exercise protocol, right? Who, who prescribes one minute a day? That's what we started. We started with four exercises, 15 seconds each. And that built upon his ability to control his function, right? Because we're not worried about heart health because he doesn't have a heart. It's an external pump. We're worried about his muscle performance. We're worried about his strength and stability. So he lost a ton of weight doing isometrics. More importantly, he gained the confidence 
in his muscular system so he could do things. He's now qualified for a heart transplant list, but most importantly, we helped him change his life. Um, and he's up walking and he's doing physical activity, activities because he can, um, which, which is pretty extraordinary. So we can go from one side all the way from like some guy needing a heart um, to all the way over to giving people back their careers. And then everyone in the middle being those elite performers, we make you all better. Um, and we're talking not just a little bit better. And I know that's an oversell and people say that's BS. It's like, just try it. Just try adding it. Um, because the stats will indicate um, 40 to 60% increases in strength. Uh, and that's across the board for over 30 years of research on isometrics. So if I can make you 30 to 60% stronger, do you not think that's going to transfer over to the activities that you love to do? Um, I, I, I see it every day. Um, and it, it's extraordinary to be able to help people and talk to people like you guys. Um, so for me, uh, this journey has been just fantastic because it's, um, it's op offered me an opportunity to meet really, really, really cool people. Um, so thank you. Yeah, for sure. And thank you both again for your time. For people who want to find out more about you or maybe check out ISOFIT or that sort of thing, where should they go to find you at? Are you, uh, you're still in the MySpace era, aren't you? Derek's up in MySpace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you've been up in Canada. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so we got this new thing called Instagram. It just showed up like last week. I'm like, you know, really? so so I don't get very many likes or followers yet, um, but I post, uh, I'm trying to build my audience. So um, at Isofit, um, I manage the account, um, you know, because I like to be able to see who's following us, see who's conversing. Like in the last sort of couple of days, we've been able to sort of, um, you know, uh, build an audience in Brazil and Japan. Um, so it's, pre it's pretty awesome. Um, obviously, this is where we connected. So the power of the internet and the power of social media is incredible. Um, and as Derek said, I'm super responsive. So if you send me a message, I will respond. Uh, it's almost a guarantee because I like when people, uh, you know, reach out to me because I have a lot of information. I can a lot of, help a lot of people. But if I just sit here idle, not talking to people, um, I can't do what I love, which is, you know, help people. For so. sure. For sure. So we'll be sure to link to that below in case you missed it. Derek, Brad, thank you again for your time. Really great seeing both of you. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, guys. See you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.